0: No one is powerful enough to find uh, the absolute meaning of anything. Um, and so the, the, you know, the tyranny comes in when people can't, cannot accept that. They cannot accept that life is full of nuance and, and ambiguity. They try to have hard and fast mm. political answers for things. And so that's what I try to make fun of in, in some of my posters is that desire for certainty or purity. Um, those things lead to all kinds of strife. And, um, and I think if you love art, you love, you love the ambiguity because without ambiguity, without, um, except without sort of, uh, if you, if you think there are hard and fast answers, then there are, there's no really, there's no reason for art. There's no reason for continu- continued sort of imaginative work. Because if their answers can be found, then, you know, you can find them and then there's no more imagination necessary. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more.
1: radio hello there my name is jason dunstone and welcome to real people where we interview average and not so average people academics researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave Today we are joined by artist Peter Drew. Peter was born in Adelaide, 1983. His artworks have been exhibited at the Art Gallery of South Australia and the National Gallery of Australia, though his most prominent work is installed on our city streets. You can find Peter at peterdrewarts.com. Peter has achieved notoriety for his street art across Australia and beyond, including Conversation Starting Posters, Real Australians Say Welcome, and Aussie. Peter has recently launched his book, Poster Boy, to much acclaim. You can also listen to more from Peter and wife, Julie White, on their podcast, Married to the Maker, and follow Peter's adventures on his popular Facebook page, Peter Drew Arts. We discuss Peter's childhood and the kamikaze run squad, getting into uni to study commerce, then quickly finding himself art and street art at night and heading in a different life direction. We discuss the critical role of art, street art and otherwise, and why it is important to have hard conversations, something Australians may not always be great at, and how important it is to be constructively rebellious. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show.
0: Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now from the beginning.
1: Thanks so much, Peter, for joining us today. I'm going to start off with the question I ask everybody at the start of their interview: What were you like as a kid? What were you like about eight Eight. roundabouts? Time
0: machine. Um. Oh, I think I was quite adventurous, or at least I, yeah, I, I, well, it's a bit later, I got obsessed with rock climbing. I love the idea of climbing things.
1: How um, old were you when you got into rock climbing?
0: Oh, uh, wasn't until a little bit later, I was more like 13, 14. Yeah. But I would have been, I mean, yeah, I, I liked going for adventures and, and exploring and, and going out of bounds, that was always, seemed like the most fun thing to do. Yeah. How did Um, that manifest? How how did you kind of, What some of the stories or examples or something in your mind about how you... Well, the easiest memory to access is one I wrote about in my book called The Kamikaze Run Squad. You've read that? (laughs) Yeah. We formed a gang and the idea of the gang was to just run out of bounds and uh, I called it The Kamikaze Run Squad because um, I'd heard of kamikaze pilots from my dad because he... I was a scuba diver, and he uh, dived in a lot of wrecks and planes in the Solomon Islands, and so I formed this gang. We used to run out of bounds at school, and eventually I, I got in trouble for it, but for a while there, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So what was out of bounds, right? Just out? Uh, just Well, it, there, was, there was one spot in particular which was over the... the I went to Glenell Primary School, and there was a... um. Front fence, we and I uh, no, jump over the front fence, or we all would in a line and run around uh, on the outside of the school on the street, and then come back into the school on the other side. There's a little sort of side entrance where teachers would go and smoke cigarettes. And eventually, I got caught um, by a teacher who was smoking a cigarette there. But uh, yeah, I had this moment when I locked eyes with him, and th- then realised that he didn't didn't know who I was. <laughs> And that if I just ran off, then I'd probably get away with it. And I still remember thinking uh, it was just this, yeah, this moment of realising, oh, there's all the teachers, they don't necessarily know who we all are. You know, if he's not my teacher, um, even though I know who, who he was, then I could uh, get away with it just by running fast enough. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you have, were you leading other kids or giving yeah, well, them a strain? Yeah. Well uh, yeah. <laughs> or is it was it more of a pack kind of mentality? Well it was a pack mentality, but I was definitely uh definitely the leader of the group. I named it and, and made a little list. There was a piece of paper for the kamikaze run squad and, and the members and who could be let in. But the thing is it started to the idea of like running out of bounds started to spread because it became a bit of a craze in the school and that's when it the there was an assembly and uh, Mr Dowdy, I think it was Said something about it, and at that point, I knew that it was sort of we probably have to. So What slow did he say? Down. He said, "Like what? What was?" Or he was just sort general? of said, "Well, this running out of bounds has to stop." He didn't know it was like <laughs> it was called the camera cards to us by well at that point. But um yeah, and eventually, my dad found uh, found out about it, and um I got in trouble. But I was in trouble. Not, I mean, obviously, he wasn't happy about me running out of bounds because you know I was just a little kid and. Uh, it was, you know, dangerous to be running outside of the school, but it was more. There was something else to it as well as that. I'd use the word kamikaze without really understanding what it meant, because the kamikaze pilots uh, didn't come back. You know, they mm-hmm. sacrificed themselves for the um, for the um, empire, I guess, and so it was a. Um, it was an interesting memory to return to because it was me appropriating a word which I didn't fully understand just because I thought it sounded cool and I wasn't I was sort of playing with something that was a little more adult than than what I realised. Yeah. What subjects were you good at at school? I don't or did know. did you enjoy? Um, I was really bad at English. Uh, it wasn't until sort of later on that I started reading a lot. I'd sort of had an idea that I was bad because I was a really bad speller, and I thought, well, I'm not good at English, then that's. And I sort of. It was. I was convinced that I was bad at that. Um, and I thought I was good at math and, uh, you know, the more <laughs> quantitative type stuff. Um, and then it was only until sort of after school that I realized that. I wasn't as interested in numbers and, and liked books a lot more. But I was good at sort of accounting and, and economics. I was actually enrolled in commerce in first year uni. I thought I was going to be an accountant, and that sort of lasted about two months before I dropped out and re-enrolled the next year. So,
1: When is like going into something like accounting and then having that epiphany that this is not me? Mm. Where does it come? What, what, what does somebody like And obviously that happens quite often that you, you're going to a uni degree that, isn't you? Is it is it the age you are going to uni, or is it just I don't know, mentors or parents or school or etc. Saying this is probably something you'd fit w- really well into, or is it something you wanted? Or
0: well, I just decided. I think that I've got a, um, a sort of a, a nephew through family at the moment. He was sort of telling me how he's got. He's really young. He's sort of twelve or so. And just telling me um, how he's going to start doing this course and he's going to be good at it. And he, he sort of decided that it's, he hasn't started yet and he's decided he's going to be really good. <laughs> I could just sort of see him, he's, him attaching his, his ego and his uh, self-esteem to, you know, because he needs something to be good at. And I was good at accounting and economics. And I thought, this is who I am. I, I'm going to keep doing this because I'm good at it. And it was only until I... So, and I really I really worked hard in school. I really wanted to... Because I thought cause I wanted to be good at it. I wanted to have something I was good at to attach my identity to. And it was only until I started that I realized, hang on, maybe I'm good at other things as well and do I really want to do this for my whole life just because I've uh, found that I, I'm able to do it. And so, um, yeah, I just... I just decided, look, I've worked really hard. Maybe I should just stop and have a look around and think, what is it that I actually want to do? And, um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult question to ask yourself because it's, it's, it's more complicated than what am I actually good at.
1: So. Mm. And then you get to uni and you realise this is not something that is me.
0: Yeah. Um, I just realised I'd really just been pushing myself through it for the sake of it all through school. And, um, I really had to stop and, and I I mean, it was really my just personal development was, was slightly weak as well. At the time I had just focused so hard on study. I hadn't learned anything about myself. Um, I never really had a girlfriend or had any sort of experiences outside of just studying and playing computer games. I was very, uh, socially, um, What's a better word than the one I'm thinking of? (laughs) 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 Just um, um, underdeveloped in a lot of ways and I just uh, got to uni and thought, well, I need to sort of work on myself a bit before I start down a career path, which just isn't me. Yeah. I mean, in
1: your book, you said something like you you studied, you you, um, discovered girls and drugs and...
0: Fun and all of that, yeah. Because I just put it off during school because I thought that's going to distract me from my studies and and I, I was just disciplined and I didn't um, and I, I worked really hard and uh, but yeah, first year uni I just let go of all of that and um, gave myself a little more choice, I guess, and then came back the next year and and started to you know build an identity that I. You know, was wasn't so bored with really. I mean, like accounting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I understand that you know, it's important to have accountants, but I just, um, I just thought I had something to do which might be creative. Um, what did you flip over to? Uh, what I went came back doing psychology and like a double degree in in psych and, and philosophy, and so there was scope there for me to figure things out, I guess, and. Um, yeah, it all sort of grew from there. I didn't start painting until maybe about a year later, so yeah. Yeah. Were you
1: a creative kid? Was was art part of it? You probably answered it to a certain extent or But Would you say, looking back, that you were creative, had an imagination?
0: Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. But I, I don't know. It sort of came out in different ways. Yeah. Um, my dad was an art teacher, and I really loved to draw, but I just always got the impression that art isn't serious, that it's sort of a silly thing. Um, and in some ways it can be. I mean, it can be an escape. Uh, and But I just, I don't know, I've just slowly been taking it more seriously, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I was always creative, but I just sort of... When I wasn't being uh, overtly creative, I found ways of being creative in in uh, in areas that aren't actually creative.
1: Mm. And, and on reflection, you can see that they were actually kind of your expressions of creativity.
0: Yeah, well, age, that yeah. that was a need, I guess. Yeah. Um, that that there was something uh, fundamentally me in that. So yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I think so at least. Yeah. So when did when did art start to come like you know,
1: part of more a part of your life?
0: Um, slowly after going back to uni, it would have been 2000 and let's see, 2003, I went back, uh, and I did an art history unit and it, and I was doing psych at the same time. And so, uh, those two things really combined and I just started drawing again and it grew from there. Eventually I was painting and I was having an exhibition, uh, and, and so yeah a few years after going back to uni I was, I was making street art mm. so when what, what was the, the when did
1: the fascination with street art start
0: um well I had a housemate who was a street artist and he would go out and paint at night and I was painting acrylics on canvas at the time and so my paintings were very Constipated in some way, they were very um, uh, these very pixelated paintings that took a long time, and they weren't very spontaneous. I had to sort of plan them out, and then there was wasn't really any. There was very little creativity when I was actually making them. It was all just in the the, the initial design, whereas he was going out on the street painting these spontaneous characters. Using aerosol and um, and brush with with paint, and I thought well, that looks like a lot of fun. And you went out one
1: night, didn't you? You were, you were yeah. living with him and could see that he was doing that. And he said, "Oh, can I come one night?" Or did he, did he say, "Hey, come with me?" Or
0: yeah, he took me out, and I brought some stencils and and did a bit of that. But just the act of uh, leaving something on the street that people are going to see the next morning as opposed to me being in my studio and and uh, painting these canvases that take months and months and months and then you, you get an exhibition and maybe get, you get know, a few dozen people to see it. It was just something so much more dynamic about putting your work on the street. Sort of, um, yeah, it was the inverse of that, of the way I was approaching art until then. So, yeah, no, I really I got hooked straight away, started cutting stencils and, and going out on my own. Yeah.
1: Did, did you... Had you been thinking about what you wanted to say or could say prior to going out and starting to do art on the street, or uh, was it more a spontaneous? This is what I am going to say.
0: It was sort of it was more things that I was thinking about that day. Uh, well, with stencils, you can have an idea, you cut a stencil, then you've got a, a set message. You can't really then make it up when you are out on the street, but it's it was a, at least a lot more. It was a lot had a lot more sort of rapid turnaround than than what I was doing in in the uh, for my gallery paintings. Yeah, mm. and what what was it about? I had part of your book that you talked about. You you're on the
1: street and almost felt alive. Not, this is not probably saying it right, but you felt alive and it was an amazing kind of experience. You felt like that that rebellion a bit, like the kamikaze club. Yeah, uh, again, that you're kind of pushing outside the boundaries and you just. I think you, you used a line. That, I just had to find what I need. I just had to define what I wanted to say.
0: No, absolutely. It's it, There's something very addictive about looking at the urban landscape as a sort of arena for expression rather than being all these big, cold, hard buildings and, and hard-faced people walking around getting to their job. It's a very serious place. But then night comes, the place empties out, and it's a playground. You mm. can climb over things and and leave your mark places and that's it's like being a kid again mm. um and then you meet other people that are doing it and there's a subculture of people doing that sort of thing and it's, it's not just street art it's uh urban exploring and all all sorts of uh you know disaffected youths <laughs> like to come into the city at night and uh, and do fun things so yeah that was me for uh, quite a while
1: yeah but
0: is that is that culture is that just like a
1: yeah, it, it's, it's a nighttime culture of just hanging out and there
0: and... A lot of it, yeah. A lot of it is just is just people just hanging out and and I think, yeah, when you're young, uh, like late teens, early 20s, yeah, you've, you've got time to just hang out. Some of the best times you have are just hanging out in the city and, and waiting for things to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when you have a friend a group of friends at that age everyone's a bit weird like none of them are sort of um are totally normal and sort of it's sort of giving up on being normal that's the um that's the ethos of that sort of time in your life is to just give up on whatever your plans were and um and yeah start afresh i guess or maybe not start afresh for some of those people i mean yeah i think back at the people that i knew then and some of them never really started again. They just sort of kept going with, um, with being disconnected from, uh, future plans. So I think it's, I don't know, it's a, it's kind of a dangerous time if you, in, in your life in a way that you, because you, you can just give up entirely and, and, st- and keep giving up, um, you know, commit to giving up. <laughs> but I, I think I always knew that I was going to make some sort of a plan and, um, and reengage with life again. So yours is almost
1: rebellion. Rebellion with a plan of—I don't mean to sort of to sort of negate any kind of rebellion, but sort of that rebellion of going. I wanted to rebel, but you wanted to build something from that rebellion. Yeah, I—I I, I mean, where others might yeah. be rebelling, going, "I'm over it all. I'm or I, I, right. this is just who I am. I, I'm just someone that rebels."
0: Yeah, I think it just depends what's inside you really and, and you don't know until you sort of give up the plans that were given to you, I guess, um, or thrust upon you. And I just, I don't know, I sort of gave up on all that and found that what I really wanted to do was, you know, there was some, at least it was something that I wanted to, to do. I wanted to take life seriously and, and, I, and I'd love you know, I actually like the world. I like being alive. I like people. Um, and I think it's possible to give up on all of those things and to just, um, let everything waste away. But I, but that was never for me. I think I could sort of see how that maps out, like, you know, what, (laughs) what a life like that looks like. And, um, uh, you know, you can choose it. No, one's really going to stop you. Um, but uh, it's I don't know it's sort of ultimately lazy, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> I needed something to do. But but it sounds like just
1: um, sound like uh, that sort of that age or, or of um,
0: fr- 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 frustrated fr-
1: frustrated with aspects of society, mm-hmm. but still being optimistic about the future, or, or yeah, or no, being no, able to no. drive that, or or, you, or having it, seeing a role that you you could play in helping to drive. The conversation in a different direction is that,
0: yeah. Well, I think just temperamentally, I uh, I didn't want to be angry and and nihilistic forever. I think ultimately it was something that I wanted to get out of my system and and to maybe find some things that I thought would be useful for other people. And I I think until you, you know, step outside of the bounds and uh, give up on. You know, received wisdom, then you can't find your own wisdom. You sort of need to step into the darkness and and pull something out. Um, and unless you do that, then you're then you're just sort of repeating things that other people have told you. So,
1: yeah. Did you have that darkness inside you when you
0: were still at school? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you don't realise it until you get a bit happier and and find some more stable people. But yeah, definitely at school I was. Unhappy. And about you or about society or... Both, 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 yeah. both intermingled for sure because you, and you're too young to separate the two. Um, yeah, no, just very... Just unhappy at school, I think. I mean, not so much that I couldn't get through it, but um, it's only in retrospect you realise, oh, I've really spent a lot of time being very... Just sort of angry and, and, and knotted up. Um, yeah, and I, I just think it's it's so hard when you're young to sort of know the way out of that or even to know uh what you're going through it's very very difficult
1: yeah and then you got to your early 20s and that sort of the the knot started and un, uh, being untied a little bit more absolutely started, yeah it's interesting we did we've got had some work this week we're doing um some work about learning and aspirations amongst younger people and and they were sort of in there. year 9, 10, 11, 12 and it was interesting because they were talking about issues they care about and there was climate change and the human rights and they really cared. This is like year 9s, they were really, really young <laughs> but they, were, they, they really cared about it and, and they, were kind of, they could see clearly art, very articulate about they were following the news and you kind of like, like as a, an adult you look back and they don't care about the news but they, they, were, they were following the news. They were really passionate about it, climate change and the likes and, but certainly human rights and... And I said, well, "Are you optimistic about the future?" And it was almost like going, "Well, of course we are." And it was almost—I like, wondered what it was—a bit like going, "Well, what, what hope do we have? <laughs> you can't give up on the future now. Like, this is our this is our life, and maybe it's that whole thing where if you don't, if you if you give up on the future, you you do kind of get caught into a bit of a, a rut." And it's
0: yeah. Well, I think you give up on the future for for personal temperamental reasons. It's not really the information you get on the news. It's more. Um, it's more is humanity worth saving you know mm. because it's you could look at the take the climate crisis for example it's quite i sort of think well really if you if humanity is so intent on destroying itself why would you be so upset that it's mm. that it's going to do that that's that's the uh, the more nihilistic approach to take but um i, I see the people who are Trying to save the world, um, they uh, at least they don't hate humanity. I mean, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the uh, the upside of um, of having to deal with something that difficult. Mm. It's almost
1: optimistic pessimism that you you're pessimistic yeah. about the way things are occurring at the moment, but you've got to be optimistic about can you drive it, can you change it, can it get better.
0: Yeah, yeah, cuz the alternative, I mean, it's quite it's quite possible to be uh to willfully destroy things. I mean, there's um you know, you, people can choose very dark paths with their lives if they if they wish to. And um and some people do. I mean, it's yeah, it's there's sort of a um uh it's kind of a fallacy that people uh, throw about that everybody thinks that they are good. Some people do know that they are bad, I think, um, and have just chosen to to be that way because it's uh, more interesting, or they get some sort of power from doing that. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think everybody th- thinks that they are good.
1: Yeah. So they, so they might. Someone might even define themselves as being, I'm not good, and then this is just my, the way I. Yeah. Yes, so no, the way, absolutely. The way I think, yeah. And when we get back to sort of like it's nighttime culture and graffiti and street art, it's almost that the sort of defining you might have a, a message to get out there, but a, a clear message to get out there, the community, the, the daytime community to, to a certain extent, and others might be just, I don't know, angry and, and that angry rebellion about as well. So it's going to be almost like there's different people in that sort of that that night nighttime culture That are are mixing with each other,
0: yeah. No, absolutely. You meet all kinds of people um, and you find that you have things in common with people that you wouldn't have guessed and, yeah, it's sort of how you discover who who you are in a lot of ways. Um, But, yeah, I don't sort of... uh, It's interesting, yeah, and the group of friends that you have then is very sort of uh, expansive and um, moving and changing all the time. Whereas these days I have... It's just yeah. It's very different. It's it's just funny to to look back at what what was 10, 15 years ago and mm. um, yeah, see how much things have changed. Just yeah. for me personally,
1: yeah. and just just I'll move on to in a moment. But was 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 drugs and sort of part of that kind of culture, or is that sort of it's, it's just the night? Oh yeah, thing? no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But it
0: was sort of, but um, yeah, uh, but it was more just. I don't know uh, yeah, yeah, everyone took drugs um, I guess there are a few people that didn't, but the, I guess the people that didn't take drugs were the uh, the minority, yeah.
1: yeah we did some work a few years ago about the in about the nighttime culture that kind of came back to littering and and, and, and some um, amongst younger people and it was an interesting number of very straight-laced people that when they got to night time, almost like they they were almost so, like they, some of them, went like, not that it matters, but sort of private schools were very kind of very ser- serious people during the day because they had to and they had to be successful and then at night time they'd kind of just totally become different people, So it was, which is probably their their sense of freedom of when they, when it became dark they could they could behave how they wanted. And that was part of a, a rite of passage for them to be able to to be human rather than being kind of piped down a certain role like an accountant or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, um, I'm definitely not that way myself. Like, I barely drink these days. Yeah. Okay. Um, but back in the day, I just tried everything. Um, yeah. and uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's I, I mean I don't really even think that much about it now. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd be hard pressed giving you a yeah. That's okay. That's yeah. fine.
1: Yeah but it's a bit of a rite of passage to a certain extent for some, some people. What were, what were some of the first... What, what, was, what were the messages you wanted, wanted to get in that early that, that early stage?
0: Oh, on the street art, I I don't... I mean, I had a... The very first stencil I had said, uh, your children's future is a fantasy. Uh, why? Because of climate change, water shortages, and there was one other one. And the final line was, but thanks for the rock and roll. And it was sort of a message of one generation to another, which I think is, um, you know, I've seen placards in the demonstrations for the climate emergency that are very similar. And I think it's probably something that every generation has has tried to express a sort of a contempt for their parents, basically. Um, And I think that that just showed where I was at at the time. I think it was a pretty sort of... um, well, it's a very immature sort of message to have, um, and uh, the other stuff that I was putting out in the street was similar at the time. It was all about uh, vaguely political things because my the paintings I was painting were apolitical, and so it was a way of getting that out uh, through the street art. But I don't really, don't really like any of it. Um, when I look back at it, I mean, it was it's all right, but it was only until I started doing something that was just more fun. Like um, I started putting up a uh, image of Albert Einstein riding a bike, and I did that a lot, and I, it was something that I enjoyed doing because I knew that people would see it and enjoy looking at it. And I'd put it up in odd places. I have to climb up a building and put it somewhere, and people would sort of—they don't just see the image; they see the the performance of someone climbing up there that's part of the the installation I guess and so I enjoyed uh, you know performing that that little uh, that feat all over Adelaide and um, yeah I liked the idea of people actually enjoying seeing what I liked rather than seeing a message like your children's future is a fantasy and going oh that mm. <laughs> that makes me sad so yeah
1: and you went and studied overseas but you you've found. Mm love and then you both moved overseas to study, is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah we studied at the Glasgow School of Art uh, just for a year, we did our Masters over there and that was good to go to art school and cause I was always curious, I mean what is, what is art school really like because I was getting to know other artists and... And you had some reputation by the time you were heading over there. Yeah, I'd, I'd done enough work that I got accepted into the school based on my street art and um, and I had a reasonable time at art school in Glasgow, but they, did, they asked me to stop making my street art at some point. I had a bizarre confrontation with the, with the administrators because they had accepted me into the school on the basis of my street art and I was writing a thesis on my street art and then they asked me to stop <laughs> doing my street art because, uh, they, because it was illegal and they saw it as being a risk
1: to them. It was getting in the media, wasn't it? Is yeah. Right? yeah. And they, and they were concerned about what that meant for them, do you think?
0: Yeah, you no, think? absolutely. And it, the irony of it, I mean, the greatest irony was that my thesis was about institutions such as my art school and how they can never fully embrace uh, illegal art um, because they have a vast capital investment and they um, they need to protect that first. Like the institution first protects itself. And so... Um, and it was just funny that they were. You, were you surprised by that? Of how
1: I guess conservative yeah. they they were.
0: Yeah, I was. But I think well, ultimately what I learned is that it's yes, there is the structure of an institution and, and the uh, the money that's behind it. But it ultimately came down to personalities and personalities use of an individual. Yes, yeah, yeah. they personalities use the structure in order to sort of express themselves and uh, and to assert their their desire for sort of authority. And so I thought that was interesting. And that's sort of... Because, I mean, structures, you know, the way this society is built is interesting, but I'm not a political scientist. I, I'm much more interested in personalities and the way people's psychology plays itself out within the world. I think that's that's sort of what I'm most interested in. Yeah, okay. Um, did,
1: did you see, when you left Adelaide, the adelaide in a certain light and gessler like, uh, 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 like yeah. other countries has been sort of i don't know more better. free or whatever better yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely um uh, I'm
1: you're, assuming you sort of, I, 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 from your book it sounded like you you were leaving Adelaide and never to return and...
0: Yeah, yeah. no we were definitely, we are much more getting away from Adelaide than we were going to Glasgow. Um, we had uh, we'd gone to Glasgow on our honeymoon and we thought, well this is, we, we were in Glasgow on like the one day of the year when they had good weather <laughs> and we we're like this place is terrific and so we enrolled in the school but I think yeah, a lot of people that I know have just gotten away from Adelaide plenty have come back as well but if, but a few years ago when we left, a little more than a few years ago now, um, Adelaide was not as interesting as it is now, but I think it must be common of a city the size of Adelaide that you just need to get away for a bit. And uh, for us, it was trying to belong somewhere else. Even though we are there for a year, it's, it's very different to just traveling a lot because you're never really trying to belong because I'd travelled for, I took a big nine-month trip back in 2006, um, and you, you're never really sort of uh, staying anywhere long enough to feel like you belong there. But in Glasgow, we we gave it a shot, and our idea of Glasgow was, well, this city must be bigger and better and more exciting, and it was a great place, but it, in actual fact, it was only until we were actually studying there that we realised, hang on, this city is actually smaller than Adelaide, and there's a lot about it which is just pretty grim and depressing in a lot of ways and then when we got back to Adelaide we really we had a real epiphany that at first we our plan was to come back to Adelaide m- earn some money and then leave again we'll go and live in London and we were back in Adelaide for about a month and Julie and I both we had a picnic and we both sort of had to admit to one another at the same time look this place is really good like We've got Was it, was and it the place or was it the people? Well, that's it. It was friends and family. It was the, those networks that make you feel like you belong. Uh, but it's the place as well. It's the, the weather, the, just the way the city is laid out. I We've been here long enough to understand it. Those sort of, uh, you know, the map that you place upon a city takes a long time to really understand it. I mean, I've been, i spent a lot of time in Melbourne and Sydney, but I still don't really know where I am when I'm there. Um, How do you mean to so explain Just it? geographically. Yeah. I mean, it's... Whenever just I'm finding in, your
1: way around and that's... Yeah. yeah
0: and I think that, that, that just feeling of knowing where you are is, um, it takes a long time to develop and it actually means something. Um, so... Yeah, it was just the comfort of of coming back to Adelaide and we realised with what we wanted to do, we had a very clear plan than what we wanted to do with really the rest of our lives and we knew we could do it in Adelaide uh, very comfortably. It it was really the best place for us. So, um, yeah, we just had to... But if we hadn't gone away, we would not have been able to realise that. Mm. Um, So, yeah.
1: Would you say you've got a... You're living in Adelaide but have a, a much wider geographic audience?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I was sort of alluding to before because I travel around to stick up the posters and Julie goes to markets to sell her her scarves and socks and so much of it is online. So there's really no need for us to live in Melbourne or Sydney or, or London or anywhere else. Um, we can just travel and, and come back. Yeah. So where, where have you... Posters appeared.
1: Obviously, you've talked about. I think I saw on your Facebook. You're in Tassie. You were Tasmania. You're in. You're obviously in Melbourne and Sydney. And so, how far flung are you?
0: Well, all or, over Australia. I mean, most of the, my posters are focused on national identity, so those ones have all been here. But I've been to the states with my posters as well, um, but not nearly as much as. As here, I'd like to, I'd like to travel with them some more. Actually, I was thinking of, actually, I can't talk about that yet. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, uh, but yeah, just a lot in Australia, Um, and it's funny because I've I've stuck up thousands of posters, and every I think that well, obviously everyone's seen them now, but all the every week I get messages from people saying, "Oh, I've never seen these before." Or I've seen these, but I don't know who it was. There's just a really a lot of people out there, Um, and I just I don't know. I I feel like I've got a lot more work to do. Um, Sometimes in terms of getting the message out there, or having it so more
1: people can see your art and
0: yeah well I, I don't know sometimes the I mean I, with every one of my projects I, I set a target of I'm going to stick up a thousand posters and go to this many places and I feel I uh, achieved the goal and I think well I've done it it's all done now um, but really the that benchmark of success was just completely arbitrary and I might as well do 10 times as much um, or 100 times as much it's really um it's 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 up to your imagination in a lot of ways and i just i know i was just realizing recently that i need to recalibrate that and because what i want more than anything is something that i can just do forever and Mm. just keep going um
1: and you find your your art is always evolving and
0: yeah yeah. no absolutely it keeps changing but it's just but i just want to have something that i can always keep working on um yeah, and I, d- I love doing the posters. It is uh, sort of... I feel like I've found exactly where I'm meant to be. And is that, is that the people? Is that the message? Is that the art? What, like what's it's, the... But if, if all those things together, it's it's interacting with people on the street who aren't coming to an exhibition to see your work. Um, and, yeah, it's it's putting the work on the street and that being this forum for um, for discussion. I just feel like that taps into something, uh, some ancient civic right that we have to use public space to communicate. So that art
1: allows that conversation to start often with yourself, but mm-hmm. it could be with, with others walking down the street and what does that mean and and debating debating amongst each other, really.
0: Yeah, it happens on the street. Uh, and mostly happens online afterwards as well. But every now and then I... Uh, well, every day that I go out putting on posters, at least speak to somebody. Um, Would you put posters up during the day? Oh, yeah. uh, pretty much all, only Forward. during the day, yeah, these okay. days. Uh, put on a high-vis vest and get to work. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. So does that mean like being le- legitimised to a certain extent?
0: Yeah, yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, I that's the way I see it. Um, uh, if anyone tells me don't put up a poster there, then I say, fine, I'll put it up somewhere else. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that
1: bridge from going the the even when we spoke to uh, Simon Burt about his his street art, he sort of started off as a um, a bit of bit of graffiti, and he said it was like probably the size of a twenty cent piece around the okay. corner, and <laughs> he knew where it was, but no one else did. And then gradually it becomes that yeah that 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 endorsed art and that 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 art that's there. But then there's still that role for the the non endorsed art as as well. What, like, like what what's your sort of thinking on the mm. balance between the I don't know rebellious art that that the building doesn't want, that's, that's still got a, a role to play in society versus more endorsed.
0: Yeah, every I mean, I, I like doing indoor stuff as well, but it usually is the same stuff. I really just like the posters. I haven't done a, a mural or anything like that for a long time, though I'm thinking about it again, actually. Uh, but it's I really like the, the non-endorsed stuff. I like that because it's it sort of what I try to do is find a pocket between, um, because we, we value the freedom of expression. Uh, we, you know, something that we all value, but we also value private property. And so what I think I do, what all graffiti is essentially is, is to state that our freedom of expression is worth more than the value of private property. It's this spot in which those two things just overlap a little bit. Um, and if I can do it in a way which people agree with and go, well, that is, that does sort of show that, well, you know, without overcrossing the bounds too much, um, I think that's sort of uh, in a you know core abstract way that is that is what I'm doing. Um, if you take away all the content and uh, and everything else, um, but obviously I don't like, I don't want to overstep the bounds to the point that people go, well, you know what he's. Uh, He's um, violating our rights to property too much. Um, so what, what's what's going too
1: far? Like, what, what would you say? So, um, so well, if someone said oh, we've got a side of a you have a side of your, side of your house, and you're putting a poster up, and someone says, "I prefer you not to put that poster up on my house." Yeah, and rightly you so. say, Okay, that's fine.
0: Yeah, and that's that's what you realise as soon as you start doing graffiti or, or street art, you realise that. Every piece of property is different, that, and it's uh, it's full of nuance. You know, it's it's all you know. There are no hard and fast rules, but as like, if I, so when I go out, I just sort of play it by ear. But I um, can definitely, I mean, I don't put it up on places of worship or on anyone's home, uh, but then an apartment building, which people don't have a personal attachment to, then that's usually fine. It's it's when people have a personal attachment to a piece of property that it becomes, there's something um, worth more there um, whereas like, you know, the side of a Coles, yeah, it's not really going to upset anybody uh, so yeah, there's different kinds of property.
1: Yeah, and do you have an assumption that obviously you do, that, that some of it at least will be pulled down?
0: or painted Oh, over or? absolutely I, I assume that all of it will be, will be gotten rid of eventually and yeah as a street artist, as soon as you come to terms with that and sort of uh, detach your ego from it because otherwise, you you know, someone tags it or someone rips it and you see it and get upset, you can't sustain a practice of putting up street art if that's the way you feel about it yeah. because it's, you know, um, it's going to happen.
1: Yeah. But you spend time restoring your art where possible, is that
0: Yeah. Uh, I like doing that as well, but it's not sort of because I sort of need to hold on to that spot I think that if people see a poster which has been degraded and then it's repaired there's something else which is which is nice about that it's it's sort of um, uh, it, yeah it's just nice to see something renewed in, in in public space as well yeah
1: do you go to different cities like let's say Adelaide Melbourne Sydney um, you go to Hobart is that right? mm-hmm. yeah, to yeah. Go, uh, and see their attitudes towards street art are different And that says something about them as a society.
0: No, absolutely. And different suburbs uh, have different attitudes. Um, You can just feel it on the street. When if I'm down in uh, Brighton, near Brighton Jetties, for example, it's it's quite a small community, and the people that use it, uh, they a lot of them would know one another. And so, if you show up there, even if I am wearing a high vis vest and I start chucking up a poster. It's not going to fly, you know. Whereas if I'm in Newtown, uh, putting up a poster, you can—I I wouldn't need to wear a high-vis vest. It's just there, there are posters and graffiti everywhere, and everyone has a very different uh, attachment to public space there. So, and you get to know where the spots are, and I, I'd like to put up.
1: So when you say it wouldn't fly, so you, you might turn up to an area, start putting a poster up, and you'd get a firm reaction of saying, "Get that down."
0: Yeah, and it won't necessarily be because of the content of my posters. It's more just there's somebody doing something they're not meant to, to do. Yeah, um, the aesthetics in,
1: or all or, or that building is a, is a building that doesn't need to be disrupted.
0: Yeah, um, and there might be, you know, because what I'm doing when I'm walking to a, the streetscape is looking for that spot, whether it's a bin or a, um electricity box or there's some <laughs> sort of spot where hopefully nobody cares about enough for me to put up a poster. Um, but you go to some places and it's pristine and, and people care about all the spots and there is no room for um, some unsanctioned expression. And those sort of places are a little bit... They're usually the places that, that are a little bit too moneyed um, and curated and, and cared for. And um, I don't know, I find places like that just a little bit suffocating I mean that's where people go to retire and they don't want to see anything anything untoward or anything um, spontaneous happen on the street so um, so would you stay would you tend to stay away from areas like that no I go to areas like that because, <laughs> because there's always somewhere there's there's always some ugly little corner um, that you can put a poster in and then I just think um, because I think my posters are good to look at and um, and if uh, if i can find that spot and uh, there'll be there'll be some people in those areas that will really like it but you just have to you know find the cracks in between um, the broken
1: windows like the like the broken window kind of sure you know, there's a broken window the a poster can go up is that is that what you're sort of looking for or are you looking for a spot where it's you feel like it's okay to put or it's a, it's a hidden spot or a
0: well it, it's a it's a spot that people aren't paying attention to enough for it to go up, I mean, I don't think it's. I mean, are you referring to broken window theory, or yeah? And right. yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it's going to encourage crime or anything like that. I think it's. <laughs> um, it just makes. I think anyone that sees my posters, they know that it was put up um, illegally or at least without permission most of the time, um, and people enjoy seeing that because it's somebody. Um, you know, just doing something spontaneous in public space—that's um, it's that's what's fun about it. Is it basically says to everyone else, um, "You can do this too. You can use public space in a way which is a little more free and isn't entirely based on uh, property." Because there's plenty of advertising up in public space, and that's just corporations selling us things. It'd be nice if it can also be used by artists to say things that are a little more interesting than. You know, buy this toothpaste. You know, mm.
1: in, in, we're a society talking more and more about creativity and innovation, um, but then we have lots of rules and sanitized kind of spots that almost are, are counterintuitive to that kind of that that message out there. If we've got to innovate and be creative, does the, the street art play a kind of role in illustrating that a bit of rebellion and a bit of a bit of street art? Kind of does does show that we that governments and, and others are endorsing yeah a bit of rebellion a bit of creativity that, that
0: I think so well I mean for me I mean what we were what what we were speaking about about the different areas which have more of it and the ones that don't it's the poorer areas that have more street art yeah and I guess that shows that it's sort of um, you know, obviously with wealth, there is so much more comfort, but you do lose things also. Um, there's a trade-off. Um, and I just like... You the, lose things like what? Like you lose things. Which is the dynamism of... Um, uh, of uh, well, not poverty, but... I mean, I don't want to glamorize poverty, but just the um, the dynamism that comes of conflict, I guess, because uh, a very controlled streetscape where there's lots of money... Uh, and a, a well-moneyed um, council that just clean everything off. Uh, there's It's not contested at all, whereas you go to some of the... You know, you have go to Footscray or um, any of the suburbs that have great street art and graffiti. It's kind of a contested space. Everyone has their own sort of sense of uh, attachment to public space in those uh, poorer areas because they feel like they're allowed to, whereas... You go to some suburbs, and it's like you're walking through a shopping mall. Everything's pristine. There's no area. F- there's no sort of it's, um, it's sanitized. Like it's so. Um, what's the word? Um, what's another word for sanitized? Um, like clean, yeah, so clean controlled, con- and sort of yeah, controlled to the point that it's um, sterile. You know, yeah. there's no life yeah. You know, and the life comes out of. Uh, you know the conflict, and so I mean, I'm talking very you yeah. know. But
1: but things are chaos. I guess I'm looking at sort of certain certain um, cities and towns that I go to, and and some have rules up everywhere. And you go, well, you're talking about <laughs> yeah. wanting. I mean, society should like could should kind of I guess run in a way that we're all kind of we, we run in a, a polite kind of way, but we're not we're not sanitised. But for, for, for pick up your word, but when we start having it, so there's. Indoor in, street art and there's non-indoor street art. And we don't want any of the non-indoor street yeah. art. I think to me it's a almost like a bit like a, a a semiotic message of going well. We are kind of clean and controlled, and but the, the chaos is the beauty in in the world a lot of the time, and so it's knowing how to
0: how to balance that. So someone might
1: look at street art and go that's ugly because it's something that shouldn't be there, but someone else will look at it going well that's giving permission to rebel or or to be a bit more risk-taking or, or to, to think creatively, even if they're not the ones putting up the poster or, or doing a bit of art. It's, it's an interesting one. If we sort of start to, yeah, as a council, local council or a state government starts to sanitise that kind of thing, does it actually kind of have flow-on effects of, of changing the way in which, in which a society kind of thinks that we become less risk-taking?
0: Yeah, and it it must, and it's, it's. I think it's a difficult thing for authorities to accept that you can't sort of. Sometimes, in order to, to ha- make something happen, you just have to create space for it and and hope that it does. You can't sort of, um, uh, you can't, uh, <laughs> you know, if if you like the the vibrancy you get from street art and that chaos, you can't commission it. You sort of have to make a space mm-hmm. for it and, and step back in a way. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I, um, to be honest, I mean, I don't know a lot about these things. It's just something I, I vaguely think about, like the, the wider effects of, of, um, of street art on the culture. I, I spend much more time thinking about um, just the, the content my own work and because it's it, it's not, I'm not an expert in, in city planning and yeah. those sort of things. So. Yeah. What, what
1: conversations would you like to, or, 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 yeah, uh, would you like to inst- stir up?
0: What, what are the conversations you'd like to have? Okay. Um, well, I, I guess I mean, the things that I'm most interested in are the way we talk to one another, uh, you know, the quality of political discourse, um, awareness of what we're getting out of it, um, you know, on a psychological level, I mean, why that people, what is it they are personally trying to get out of, political discussions it's not always or it's it's almost never um what they are what they're discussing the outside of themselves there is also a personal need which they are trying to satisfy um and i just think that's that side of things is interesting i i I think about it a lot uh, but um i don't really have any clear answers um but it's something that i think about in, in, in more about sort of, I know people, sorry. But no, this is no, no, not very sorry. concrete. But, 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 but,
1: but, but are people kind of thinking more from a self-preservation perspective rather than about other people, other cultures, or other what what it, what it means to be Australian? It, yeah, you know, well, it seems to be a conversation that you're you're having. That
0: yeah, well, it's difficult to, to discuss unless you have like you know you're being specific and, and concrete about it. But I um but it, like take national identity for example. Yeah. Um, uh, you have people on the right. Uh, who want to protect uh, Australian national identity and, and conserve what it is. And for every one of them, there is some sort of personal reason for that, whether it's temperamental or their personal history. And, and I just think having more of a, a personal awareness of your motivations for being interested in politics, would um, it, it often makes you more capable, makes you more flexible, for starters... Um, but if you're more aware of what it is that you need out of it personally, it um, it stops you from sort of seeking things from politics that you can't get from politics, that you can only get from sort of your own personal development Um, because otherwise you sort of create harm in the political arena by seeking personal and emotional satisfaction from politics. Yeah,
1: okay. So yeah, in your book, you'd referred to sort of there's you know, you'll have some of your your, your biggest arguments. We say a, a middle aged man. That's why we got it's not the it's not the issue you, that they're talking about. It's probably more about what what that issue means to them and their kind oh, of yeah. self pr- pr- protection, or be, be quite angry about sort of what what that means for them and, and their entrenched views. Is, is that?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the problem is that if you if you have some sort of personal dissatisfaction and then you seek political uh, some sort of political way of protecting that it's never you're never satisfied you're always because the fear remains and uh the the personal dissatisfaction remains and you're always trying to you know it's like trying to dig a hole in water it's always going to keep going back to the way it was mm.
1: so when you look at our politicians often they're they're making their, their, their um their policies and their perspectives are are based on something that's inside of them, rather than actually kind of understanding that, that those those broader kind of um, yeah, the, the broader issues going on. Really, it's
0: well, well yeah, always. I mean, I, and, and it's not necessarily a, a bad pathological thing. It's it's sometimes it, you know it, everyone needs personal motivations in order to be effective politically. But if people were a little more aware um, or open about how they came to be involved in politics and what it is that they get out of it emotionally. it, um, uh, ah, it would just make for a more interesting and honest political discourse. I think if we knew what were the real, the levers, uh, you know, behind, behind the curtain in people's, uh, in personal psychology, that's sort of, um, I mean, that's what I sort of dig out in the book is, is thinking about what really ma- motivated me to travel around the country and sticking up all these posters, um, it's. I had to sort of acknowledge it's, it's a weird thing to do. It's not something that other people do. So what is it about me that uh, propelled me to do that? And I think if everyone uh, who's very sort of attached to some sort of political cause, if they did that for themselves, it would not only make them less uh, anxious and uh, sort of politically needy in some way, it would also make them ultimately more effective in in achieving change in the world. Mm.
1: So that self awareness of like even in your your journey has been about that self awareness of why do I have these perspectives and what does it mean? Yeah, and, and almost like that thinking on that topic and sharing the posters is a way of you kind of reflecting on yourself.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, um, and it's still something that I that I love to do. But it's sort of I think I've come to a state of more. Yeah, just clearer personal awareness, really. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Well, what 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 does success mean for you? Like what?
0: Um, I don't know. Um, it's a very broad question. Um, How do
1: you measure your the, the success of your art, for example? Well, more about just it's
0: a perpetual thing that just unfolds. It's a perpetual thing. I think. I don't know. I, I don't really... I think of it as, as sort of as information gathering in some way um, that I make a post-it because I'm curious about what the response will be. If there's no response, then that's not success. If there is a strong response, then I guess that's that's a kind of success, but it's it's more... I want to get a response that propels me to keep making more art more than anything... Um I just like having something to do to sort of to occupy my time. It's just a, a feeling that you get when you're when you're working on something that you have some sort of insight that you've seen something that other people have also seen but haven't articulated and that you can sort of uh, capture it and put it into a, a poster and and then people will enjoy it for that reason um yeah no I, I enjoy that process I enjoy the sort of searching for those things and yeah yeah one of the things that's been interesting in these
1: podcast interviews particularly from people from outside of australia is the um the um perspective or the the uh, i guess the self-awareness of australians is often different to the, the to the, the way others might see us so we might see ourselves as pioneering and open-minded and and and, and very welcoming um but we're, we're we're not necessarily as we, we might think. So what are sort of some of the ways in which you would you're doing your art and just sort of talking, having conversations with different Australians that we might be different to what we would we we might think we are.
0: Well, I think that's you've already said exactly what Australians are in that they don't know themselves. I think yeah, that, okay.
1: that's don't know themselves and maybe don't have a strong cultural identity.
0: Well, I think there are there are strong cultural identities in Australia, um, but I think if there is one sort of defining cultural aspect which I which I sort of think should be articulated is that Australians don't know themselves in that, and, every, and no one sort of knows themselves fully, but um, more, more than other countries. So if you went to yeah, yeah,
1: so I've, other countries have a, cl- a clearer view of who they are as people and what makes them whoever they are.
0: And that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, to know yourself and to have a strong identity and a strong culture is also to be trapped and defined. And um, and I think Australians, we we don't know ourselves in a lot of ways and we haven't sort of articulated our history in a, into a clear narrative. Um, and so it's it gives us freedom um, to define ourselves, but it also means that we... Don't know who we are in the meantime, and it's sort of that gives us a, a feeling of anxiety. But um, you know, that's that's good for for me as an artist because without anxiety, there's that's you know, anxiety is the raw material for for mm. uh, creation. So yeah,
1: and sometimes that not knowing who we are and that anxiety means we don't want to have some of those hard conversations. Those conversations that um, like I don't know, about um, like. First, uh, the first um, nation here and about new, new arrivals, all those sort mm-hmm. of conversations we don't... They, they're yucky kind of conversations. are probably the conversations you're helping to... Like, helping people to even self-reflect on, is that...?
0: Yeah, I think we, we... Yeah, we don't want to have those conversations, or at least, yeah, we don't know how to have those conversations. Um, and so we... Don't know where st- to
1: start with those conversations, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and so we stick to... Uh, Old stories of ourselves, or or simple stories, Um, and but they, yeah, I think you know if you, it's it's not it's not very hard to sort of see the holes in um, in Australian identity as it's uh, not traditionally, but just the the simplicity of it, Um, the contradictions, um, it it sort of falls apart with very little examination. So. yeah, it, it it just means that we have to, um, you know, reinvent ourselves in some ways, and apply our imaginations, and that's sort of that's ultimately what art does, and sort of means that um, being an artist in Australia, you have your work cut out for you. But it's not just the job of artists; it's obviously the job of all, of all people, and um, not that I to, to to have those conversations or to have art that
1: helps conversations to move forward.
0: Yeah, to sort of to create a uh, to sort of uh, allow Australian identity to to sort of grow. Um, that's the thing; it needs to expand in order to become coherent and and stronger. Um, and I, I refer to it as work because I'm an artist, but that doesn't mean, doesn't mean it has to be work for other people. It's um, it's a part of being a an alive human in the mm. world is is participating in, in culture and identity. So mm. it's it's not. Doesn't have to be considered as uh, as work or as something uh, laborious, but um, that's just the way I see it because I make posters. So.
1: Yeah, but that's interesting. Certainly, the um, interview I did with Geordie Brookman, who was the um, the, the former uh, creative director at the State Theatre Company, and he he kind of referred to um, theatre and art as a way of kind of seeing ourselves, re- reflecting back, and I guess it's the same thing with you. Art is a way of um, telling our story, like who we are as a as a as a country, as a as a group of people, and I, I don't know if the, the arts necessarily. Um articulates itself publicly there but i guess it's a, it is that kind of that that the role of the arts is about sort of yeah saying who we are what, what do we represent and not necessarily literally all the time but like not not say like a a newspaper saying this is the news of the day but it's actually kind of a it it's it is it's, it's who we are that's that's yeah that's that's, that's the purpose of it yeah.
0: there's a plan for the future as well it's a story of how do we get here who are we where are we going Um, all of that stuff is encoded into narratives and identities and without that you're just a consumer (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know and it's um, and I think you know I don't want to live in a under sort of free market nihilism I think that's just um, that's kind of a silly emptiness Um, and everybody knows it and um, and so yeah it's art is more than just uh entertainment mindlessly keeping us amused. It's uh, it's the finding and of meaning for our lives mm. and, and trying to express it in some way that the people around us can see it and go, oh, this is what life means. This is what's meaningful. And, and also the people that come after us, the next generation can see it and go, well, what did uh, the previous generation see as meaningful and a, a reason for being alive? Um, so, yeah, that's what I hope to convey in art and that's what I love about art is that it um you can you can see what people hundreds and thousands of years ago f- thought was meaningful uh and and they you know they left clues for us to to figure out what was meaningful in our lives so um yeah that's what I think art is all about mm.
1: and he, each artist has a different story or stories that they're, they're telling and they have a different perspective and like of simon burke had a he said well not everything has an answer like we, we, we as, as a what do you use, a, use the line that when we start coming to conclusions is when like we start to slowly die it's this kind of constantly searching and, and you as an artist is not necessarily saying this is the answers to what i'm trying to say you're saying this is a this is my conversation really isn't yeah
0: right? well this is the best answer i could come up with for now I mean like to commit yourself to to being an artist and and, in, and enjoying the imagination in the very act of doing that you are realizing that um, that it's all about nuance and ambiguity and really sort of accepting that you you're no one is powerful enough to find uh, the absolute meaning of anything um, And so the, the you know the tyranny comes in when people, can't, cannot accept that they cannot accept that life is full of nuance and, and ambiguity. They try to have hard and fast mm. political answers for things, and so that's what I try to make fun of in in some of my posters is that desire for certainty or purity. Um, those things lead to all kinds of strife, and um, and I think if you love art, you love you love the ambiguity because without ambiguity, without um, Except without sort of uh, if you if you think there are hard and fast answers, then there are there is no really there's no reason for art. There's no reason for continu- continued sort of imaginative work because if their answers can be found, then you know you can find them, and then there's no more imagination necessary. Mm-hmm.
1: And your posters don't have a they're not a long narrative that goes at the end. that's the answer. It's 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 really a typically. Or more recently, it's a, they're the image, an image, and some simple words, and and one person interprets it quite differently to another. I'm, I'm assuming, so yeah, that, and that's what you're wanting,
0: it, yeah. But some of the posters do seem quite certain of themselves, but there is a. Um, I always think that that's uh, I'm really making a parody of, of, of political art because that's that uh that certainty that sort of screamed out. Real Australians say welcome. It's really a parody of the people that scream the opposite um and yeah that's it's a difficult thing to to play around with when you're when you're using irony it's I mean not everyone not everyone gets it some people take things literally so um yeah you've got to be you've got to be careful when it comes to doing that do you have any thoughts on
1: as a as a creative person if that's how you want to refer to yourself but maybe you don't um but how does somebody maintain a level of creativity in their life?
0: Um, I don't know. I think it just – your imagination just demands it, really. I mean, I I really love having a certain level of stability in my life and routine. I really need those things because if you just give in to creativity and chaos, then it just, <laughs> things fall apart very quickly. Yeah. Um, and I guess, yeah, I just try to balance out everything as much as I can. Uh, you know, have applied discipline and a structure, uh, and that allows me to have the creativity in the spot where I need it. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's about. Uh, it's about balance really uh, if you want to have a, be more creative then be more structured and be more disciplined yeah,
1: okay. so creativity doesn't and, and art doesn't mean like just total abandonment of, of the the structures and, yeah okay
0: um, yeah you want your, I mean for me I want my creativity um, in my posters and in my designs the other parts of my life are, I like to you know I don't, I don't get creative when I'm cleaning the kitchen you know you're just going to do it you know you need to be a fascist at that point (laughs) you need to kill all the germs that's what um that sort of thinking is for um and so the uh yeah the creativity comes in in that you know that pocket where i need it where it's when i'm making the art yeah okay
1: and as a society what's your observation are we leaning more over to the the control and control or the, the creativity? What, what's...
0: I, I don't know. I mean, it's I, I think that uh, people manifest uh, pathological behaviour when they see pathological behaviour of another sort. It's not, um, if, if you want to put it in simple terms, like when people go further left, then other people will go further right. And so it's about um, trying to create sort of fibres by which people can communicate somewhere in the middle um that doesn't mean that uh you know I don't want to sound too sort of vanilla and centrist but um I just find the middle way is is ultimately where things stabilise um you know it's there's a that's where you get the, the synthesis between two opposing ideas um I mean, so question, finding a
1: balance between in, in the middle between say left and right, for example, it's finding that
0: yeah, and, and it having a tolerance for the well, we spoke about nuance and um, and ambiguity, um, <laughs> sort of coming to terms with the fact that the other side is not wholly bad, and that ultimately you need to live with people that have very different ideas mm. to yours. Um, yeah, negotiating, compromising—all those things are yeah. what I think are most important. They're, they are some disciplines that, if you give them up, you can—you'll find that you—it's hard to get them back. You know, you can give them up forever until you're also uh, being—you know—thrown out with the with the people that you uh, denounced. So yeah,
1: okay. So we're not all going to have the same view. It's about trying to find that compromise and balance in the middle is is a reality. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, it's the hardest thing to do, Um, because it's never, you know, you have to give up that sense of certainty or or purity, or that that sense of things being absolutely the way you want them to be. Um, You know, growing up is about coming to terms of the necessity of compromise, whether it's in a personal relationships, especially that's where you that must be practiced when you're in a marriage or a family. It's all about compromise mm. um, and all about negotiating and finding uh, that sort of peace. Um, and then if you treat everyone that way, I mean, if we, if we were good enough to treat everyone the way we treat the people that are closest to us, then things would work a lot better.
1: Yeah. I have a sense in politics, uh, Australia and, and otherwise, that there's a movement away from the centre so Absolutely, left and right's becoming stronger, which is a really interesting one about society. Do you do you see that sort of that's almost like the waves, and it will come back sort of after after a while, or is it or is that your observations saying something about who we are as a populace?
0: I mean, it seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, like, who knows whether that is just a smaller pattern of something much larger that that plays itself out over many generations and. What can one individual do when you're looking at, uh, you know, it looks like the tide coming in and out. You can't just stand there mm-hmm. trying to hold it back. Um, yeah, I think this individual should co- concentrate on acting ethically in their own lives um, and it'd be nice to be able to look back on your life and, and say, well, I didn't make things worse. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... And to attempt to do what is hardest to do, and that is to empathise with the people who you oppose, because it's actually quite easy to empathise with people who are, um, you know, it's you know, people talk about in, in comedy that you should uh, you should be punching up, not punching down. Yeah. Well, it's very actually very easy to empathise down. There's something mm. <coughs> condescending about it almost. But to empathise up empathize with the people that have more power than you, it's actually, uh, and, and that are on the other side, It's mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing to do. And so if you can do that, then um, everything else is uh, does come a little easier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Near the end, of just that,
1: just building on that point, of it, it almost seems to me like it, it's, it's fear. Fear pushes away from the centre, like whether it's fear mm-hmm. of our country and our jobs, and pushes over to the right, or whether it's fear about our climate and our and and, and um, equality or whatever it might be, might push uh, push to the to, to the left. But it's, I guess, it's that interesting one about how do we how do we stop as a society being not being so fearful. Maybe it is exactly what you're saying. It's a, it's those conversations and it's not necessarily a right answer. There's, it's having those conversations so at least we know what other people's perspectives are.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the fear is is everywhere. It's on, I mean, the far right, uh, a fear, a fear for, of immigrants. And it's interesting, I was seeing some people from the Extinction Rebellion protesting and the thing that they'll say is I, I don't know, I'm just very afraid. And there's just this Feeling of this vast reservoir of fear with which people are, are tapped into, and if you, it's very easy to contribute to that, to sort of to mm. spread propaganda that just externalizes your own fear, and then you find other people that are afraid. Oh, let's be afraid together, and then we'll keep spreading it. Um, it's that's not necessarily helpful or responsible. <laughs> um, if you can help to find ways to sort of deflate that big balloon of fear um it does it, it, that's hard work and it requires you to sort of carry your weight um but it, i think that does help people um although it's not as it's not as much fun in some ways and in, in that <clears throat> it's very easy to rally people around you on the basis of fear i mean that you get a real kick from doing that if you're spreading stuff online it's you'll get a reaction every every time if you're spreading fear hmm final question
1: uh it's a reasonably big one but simple question si- simple answer to a, a, a reasonably big question what do you see is the key to a successful life a successful career and i'm going to say to younger people that could be, mean anything really young at heart or,
0: or young young at age mm. oh just one key um <laughs> well I, I don't know i i have, um I'm about halfway through, I guess. So I, I don't know. I mean, I guess ask me in 30 years' time, I might have a, a better. What's, what's, what's something
1: that you, know? I guess you've learned from the way you've kind of, I guess, found yourself? Right?
0: Uh, one of the most important things, I guess, is to. Hmm. Just on a fundamental level, you need to love other people. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to sound so um, uh, soppy but that's it's that's also because it's also bloody obvious i mean you you can ask yourself quite easily whether you and whether you love the world or not um, on some fundamental level and i think it's very you can sort of operate out of a uh, a contempt or just a sense of anger or entitlement Uh, towards the world and if that is motivating what you do then you should think about it um, rather than just blasting it out but if you are operating out of some form of gratitude that you there is some generosity in what you're doing uh, and there's some love underneath that then um, then you're probably you're closer to being on the right path Um, but yeah, you can't really know those things until you sort of consult yourself. Um, it doesn't necessarily feel bad to be operating out of some sort of anger and uh, contempt for the world. It's sort of, you can get a real release from doing that, especially when you're young. Um, but it, it sort of, it dries up. And if you want to keep making art for a long time, it needs to be uh, motivated by something uh, deeper than that. So, uh uh, I suggest that you sort of take a moment to to look for it and find it because it's uh, it's it, I think it's there in, in all of us ultimately, no matter how sort of angry you are at the world, you uh, you'll find it if you just uh, have a quick look. So yeah, mm-hmm.
1: okay, that's great. Thank you so much, Peter. Uh, I'll put some links on the on the bio for this to sort of so people can find you. But anything in particular? Obviously, your book out that's going well.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. That's it's the response keeps growing, which is interesting because it's it's very different to putting out a poster. You find out very quickly whether uh, people like it a lot, but uh, obviously a book takes longer to read, and so it's it's been interesting to see it sort of uh, grow and grow. So, um, no, that's been nice.
1: Do you get people from overseas contacting you and a reflecting bit. on what you said? Like, do you say so that's from the US? Do you get people from the
0: US reflecting on what you're saying about Australia? Yeah, uh, that's been... I'm I'm starting to get more used to it, whereas in the beginning it was just bizarre that I... Mostly the UK and the US, and because I guess there are a lot of expats over there and there's similarities between the countries, but, um, yeah, getting more used to people uh, contacting me from overseas to to tell me what they think about my posters, which is nice. They had the different perspectives or...? Um, It's mostly... Uh, just sort of simple appreciation. But when I brought the posters to America, then obviously Americans had opinions about my gun control poster because it was about their country. Um, but it was it was actually talking to Americans on the street was good. They they really love to talk uh, to strangers. You, you know, you can have a good chat to people on the street about their political opinions. It's they're much chattier than Australians. I found.
1: Yeah, there we go. Any other way you'd like people to find you?
0: Uh, just <clears throat> my website, peterdrewarts.com, yep. and I'm on all social media platforms, so you'll find me.
1: Good on you. Thank you, Peter.
0: Thanks for having me. Right.
1: Cheers. To comment on today's show, do so via Square Holes or myself on Twitter or your favourite social media. You can find me at Jason Dunstone. For more on today's show, other episodes, and articles on all things human centred, customer focused innovation and entrepreneurship, go to squareholes.com forward slash blog. Thank you for listening. Uru!